What's doing, everybody? Today is Tuesday, October 10th. There is unimaginable human suffering taking place in the Middle East after Hamas launched a bloodbath against Israel. U.S. Army combat veteran Sean Parnell joins me to discuss the latest. Then, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul is going to be here to talk about his new book, Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up. Plus, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has launched his presidential campaign now as an independent. I'm Alec Lace. This is The Alec Lace Show. The American family is under attack. Parents are the underdog of this nation. Your children are being indoctrinated. That's right. Your children. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the school system. They belong to you, the parents, as a blessing from God our Father. So let's preserve, protect, and fight for the American family together. You're listening to The Alec Lay Show. The future is family. Welcome, everybody, to The Alec Lay Show. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching the broadcast live on Rumble, you know what to do. Get down there, hit the share button so we can get as many people into the broadcast here as possible. Would love if you guys could take part in the chat. And don't forget to follow the channel. Follow me here on Rumble, the First Class Fatherhood page, as well as the new one that I set up, The Alec Lay Show. I'm happy to have you guys here with me. There's a lot to discuss. Obviously, uh, since Joe Biden has taken controls in the White House, everything has become un- become unstabilized throughout the world. The people that told you the adults were now in charge under their administration, because we know Biden's not running anything. He's just following his orders, as he tells you all the time. We have seen, you know, this unraveling of the Middle East. We've seen the Ukraine and, and Russia war. We saw the debacle of pulling out of Afghanistan, leaving equipment behind. Now we're seeing some of those weapons being used uh, by Hamas. Obviously, Hamas launched this this absolute bloodbath at a party, uh, at a dance rave party with innocent civilians in Israel who had no idea what was coming. Many of them ended up slaughtered right there. The, the video footage that we're seeing, and we're seeing them in real time, People are these uh, terrorists are live streaming with the things that they are doing, almost as if, almost like we see from these idiots that loot and pillage and rob stores in these Democrat cities. You know, we see them live streaming themselves. This is what we're seeing these terrorists doing as they just came in and just murdered these innocent civilians in Israel, launching this huge... Now, I'm going to bring Sean Parnell on here because Sean Parnell, Army combat veteran, Army Ranger, Purple Heart recipient, he's a uh, an American hero. He's been face-to-face with the terrorists. He knows better than anybody what they're capable of. So I, I would, I'm grateful to have him join me here to break down so much of this stuff because I'm a civilian myself here. And all I know is we are watching our open border in the United States where they, we don't know who's coming in to this country. We have no idea how many people that support Hamas have come into our country, what their plans are, why they're here. We have no clue. We have zero. Obviously, there was a huge intelligence failure from Israel, Israel intelligence, the Mossad. Obviously, there's a U.S. intelligence failure because U.S. didn't pick up on anything. We had no idea this was coming. Yet, they're trying to tell you. Now, the minute you mention the fact that Joe Biden unfroze $6 billion for Iran, they're telling you right away, oh, no, we know where every dollar of that money is. We know where all the money is and exactly how they're going to spend it. 
Yet, they weren't able to detect that they were sending paratroopers on these little paraglide things into a civilian concert. They had no idea that that was going to happen, but they know where every penny of the $6 billion is. That's what they want you to believe. U.S. intelligence knows where all that money is, but we had no clue that Hamas was going to launch, launch their huge, biggest attack in, in, in years. That's what they're trying to talk to you about. That's what they're trying to make you believe. Joe Biden has been a failure. His administration is, is really an endangerment to our freedom here in the United States. And again, we have no idea who's coming through our southern border at all. And, and then while we're having all these people come into the southern border, Biden and his administration is trying to disarm you. They're trying to take away your right to defend yourself. They're, wanting, they're attacking the Second Amendment. Who are you to have guns in your house, you shameful American while they're allowing God knows who to come through the border. So we're going to get into this with Sean Parnell. And then after that, I'm going to have Kentucky Senator Rand Paul to talk about this other disaster that's happened to the United States here, which was COVID, which was a setup from the beginning. Nobody has been harder on Dr. Fauci or, or been on his ass more than Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and finding out exactly what the origins was. Again, our U.S. intelligence, uh, how great it was. We, we can't find out where this thing originated, but we do know where it started from. Same thing with our U.S. intelligence that told you 51 United States intelligence officers told you Hunter Biden's laptop was a fluke. It was Russian propaganda. Those were our intelligence officers, the same ones, the same intelligence that tells you we know where all the six billion dollars is in Iran. So obviously, after waging this attack, Hamas knows that the response is going to be brutal. They didn't do this thinking that they would just get a sanction. They did this knowing that, they, that Gaza would be wiped off the face of the earth. So what is the plan here? What is, what, is the, what is that play? Something larger is taking place here. And I don't know what the game plan is, but there's no way in the world they launched this attack thinking that the response was going to be just a small response. They knew this was going to be the big one. So what is to come here? Iran, all of these Middle Eastern, that's what we're going to get into with Sean Parnell. So let's get him in here to break that down. Again, after Sean, I'm going to have Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. After that, we'll talk a little bit about RFK launching his campaign from now, the independent platform, and what that means to the other candidates. Uh, so let's do this. Let's get Sean into the into the Zoom room here. Let's get him in. Joining me now, Sean Parnell. Always an honor to have you on here. Host of the Battleground podcast right here on Rumble. Get over there. And check it out. Sean, listen, right now, uh, obviously, I'm hearing from so many different people. You know, they're trying to escalate war. We need to get into this war, Ukraine war. We need, we need to get involved with the Israel war. You've been face-to-face here with these terrorist guys. You still have the scars from these bastards in battle with them. And most of the people that are calling to escalate these things into wars have never been near one, have never been uh, uh, in one themselves. So I, I love to get – I respect your opinion on what's going on here. How do you see what's going on here with Hamas and Israel, and what should be the proper response from the U.S.? Well, I, first of all, you're 100 percent right, I mean, especially after 20 years of failure in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I'm not necessarily talking about boots on the ground military failure in Afghanistan. We won every tactical battle that we were in, but the war was ultimately lost because politicians did not have a clear cut end state or even really a plan of what that looked like. And what we're seeing in 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 Israel, for for example, with Hamas is, is a prime example of that. You know, I saw something on Twitter just before going live here with you, Alec, that that um, 
Americans who were captured by Hamas or are trapped in Israel reached out to the Biden administration or the U.S. embassy in Israel and got no response, no guidance on how to get their loved one back. I mean, that's exactly what what I'm talking about. You know, we find ourselves rushing into these situations, not knowing a hell of a lot about what's going on in the ground. I mean, we still have Americans trapped in Afghanistan. Afghanistan is still a complete disaster from the surrender a couple of years ago, yet we're clamoring to war in, in Ukraine. So my point is, it seems like we've we've learned nothing after 20 years of failure in Iraq and Afghanistan. And while I recognize that that there are things worth fighting for, and I mean, there are. If, if this country ever came under our attack or our freedom was ever at risk or our children were ever at risk, I'd be first in line volunteering to fight that fight. But the reality is, is that what do we have to show? It, just like, just look at our, our last 20 years of our history. What are the net positives that came out of Iraq and Afghanistan? I mean, we're trillions of dollars in debt, thousands of Americans dead, tens of thousands of Americans wounded, hundreds of thousands of Americans that suffer from the invisible wounds of war, a million Iraqis dead, you know, hundreds of thousands of Afghans dead. Afghanistan is in a worse state than it was than pre 9 11. I mean, because all the people that were that that were in charge of 9 11, Al Qaeda, the Akani Network, Hekmatyar, are now woven into the fabric of the highest echelons of the Afghan government. The Taliban are now talking about traversing through Iran to attack Israel. Um, Iraq is just there's a vacuum there, and for decades, Iraq and Saddam Hussein were a check against Iran in the region. Well, that's gone, and now Iran is 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 saber rattling like crazy. So you see, my point is if we don't think these, these things through, it could very well end up in disaster for this country. Ukraine is a perfect example of that. Um, and, and, in Israel is a, a very, very different conflicts. Right. So like, I, I, I absolutely positively do not support, um, you know, in perpetuity funding of, of Ukraine, I, I do support Israel's right to defend themselves. So I want to see them wipe Hamas off the face of the planet. What Hamas did to to Israel over the last several days has been some of the most horrific stuff that I've ever seen. And, and by the way, Alec, it, it, Iranian-funded terrorists, I mean, all terrorists do terrible things, but Iranian-funded terrorists, they, some of the stuff that they do is just unspeakable, and, and it's almost like their calling card. And we fought these guys in Afghanistan um, about eight months into my deployment to Afghanistan, an Iranian group started rampaging through our areas of operations, and they would send us videotapes of Afghan bases or police checkpoints that they would overrun, uh, videotapes of them beheading young Afghans who volunteered to serve their country. I mean, close-up videos of them beheading them. Um, it was commonplace for for Iranian-funded terrorists to throw grenades into cribs of newborn babies in in homes that were thought to be helping Americans. And in some cases, you know, uh, Afghans just working on American bases, or in some cases, half the, half the time, uh, the babies that were killed were from families that weren't helping Americans at all. Um, these people brutalized young children, captured young children, children, tortured young children, raped young girls. Uh, these are all the calling cards and hallmarks of Iranian-funded terrorists. And we killed them in great numbers in Afghanistan. I mean, we probably killed um, 200 Iranian-funded terrorists in Afghanistan. And I'm telling you all this to, to say that there's one way to deal with, with them. The way that you get them to back off is 
through devastating their numbers is through killing them in great numbers. And I don't say that it's not to impress you, but to impress upon you the one thing that they understand and that strength. It, you know, our tactic, technique, and procedure when dealing with these guys in the battlefield, specifically the Iranian funded ones. How how do we how do we tell who those were? Well, they were carrying weapons with Iranian serial numbers on them, fresh from uh, Iranian manufacturing facilities, still with the packing grease on them. They were carrying and funded. I mean, they had uh, Iranian uh, plate carriers on and Iranian uh, magazines. I mean, you you could just they were completely and half the time their equipment was was better than our own. Um, but the way that we dealt with these with these people was we we kill them, we'd collect their bodies in accordance with Islamic law, and we we as Americans would take their bodies back and stack them outside the mosque uh, of the bazaar that was just outside our base. In part because that was that you have to do that within forty eight hours in keeping with Islamic law. But at the same time, it was to send a very clear message: like, do not send your sons into this fight. Do not commit your sons into something that they can't possibly understand because they'll end up dead just like these people. And we did that enough to, to where in the tail end of 2006, Alec, we were getting state department uh, cables and intelligence from Pakistan. because We listened to their cell phone calls and, and, and listened to their communications uh, very clearly from, from family saying, to Iranian cells who were trying to recruit them for their fight, that they're not sending their, their sons into the fight anymore. They were just dying in too great a numbers. And so my point is that's how you deal uh, with, with Hamas. That's the only way that they'll stop. Um, so I know that was a very long, that was a very long answer to your question. Um, well, that's why I got you here, Sean. <laughs> um and, you know, I, I talked, I talked briefly, Alec, about the differences between Ukraine and 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 Israel. A, a very key difference is that Bibi Netanyahu is not asking for our help. <laughs> He's not asking for our boots on the ground to take the fight to the enemy. He's wholly prepared to do it himself. Also, the threat in Israel, first of all, they're our old, one of our oldest allies, right? The threat in Israel is very, very clearly defined. It's we, we, it, by the way, the security funding has been appropriated for decades now. We know exactly what it's being used for. Um, they fight against groups like Hezbollah. They fight against groups like Hamas. They they fight to protect themselves from proxy funded terrorist groups from Iran and Lebanon and enemies that surround them and want to wipe them from existence. So we fund their we, we help to fund their very existence as as a people, as as a peaceful people. So you see the difference, right? What we're being asked to do in Ukraine is fund them in perpetuity. We're being asked, Zelensky is traveling around the world asking for money in perpetuity so what we can fund ukrainian pensions i mean it's just it, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and so two clearly different two very clear clearly different missions i mean i don't i don't want american boots on the ground in either of those countries but i completely support israel's right to defend themselves and wipe hamas off the face of the planet now i'm curious sean too, and, and you know just just to your point i think that if you would have told people on september 12th or september 13th that we were going to go to war with these guys we were going to spend 20 years over there and then back out and leave the Taliban in charge. Nobody would have ever believed you. You know, it would, it would have been impossible for us to believe that was going to happen. But that's exactly where we ended up. And I think here uh, so many people uh, are wondering about the six billion dollars that Biden unfroze. And I know the left wing media says, you know, well, we know exactly where that six billion dollars is and we know what the money is going to be used for. But these are the same intelligence people that told us that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. The same intelligence community that completely missed 
this sneak attack by Hamas coming in in power gliders, but they know where every single penny of the $6 billion is and how it's going to be used. Now, it, it seems like Iran is the big one that funds this. I know I remember years ago doing the interview with the guy that saved Marcus Luttrell, the Mohammed Gulab. I did an interview with him mm-hmm. asking him about all this, and he pointed right away and said, the reason we have all this going on in Afghanistan is because Iran, is because Pakistan keeps funding these t- t- the Taliban people. And that's why, and it seems like that has never changed. That hasn't stopped. Now, my question here, Sean, is if we do have, which it seems like we do have at least some prisoners or hostages over there that are American, do we send in special forces, the SEAL teams to, to communicate with the Israeli special forces to go and get these guys out? What do you see as the play going forward here? And what is your, your call on the six billion? How do you see it? Yeah, so I'll answer I'll answer your question in two parts. I'll address the the hostages or Americans trapped in in Israel right now. The answer to that question is absolutely. And I think the America First movement um I mean I I compl- I don't you will rarely 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 if ever hear me advocating for American boots on the ground unless the mission is very clear cut. You know, um unless we know from an intelligence standpoint, clearly what exactly we're doing, why we're going there and what the plan is to, to get out. Um, but we still have a responsibility to a sacred commitment to rescue Americans who are trapped behind enemy lines. We saw what happened in Afghanistan and how leaving Americans behind, you know, crushed the morale of, of our country. We don't leave our people behind. It's a sacred commitment that that we make to American citizens. Now, I understand that it's, it's not always tactically feasible, that that mission can often be difficult. I mean, I understand that. But again, the Biden administration doesn't even have a plan to get Americans out of Israel. And so my, my answer to that question is we should absolutely be spooling up special forces units whose mission is search and rescue. And they should be liaising with uh, the highest echelons of the Israeli government and the IDF uh, to to perform that very specific function of finding and identifying Americans who want out of Israel and getting them out of there uh, as fast as humanly possible, getting them out of harm's way. And and the reason why I say that is like, first of all, they can do that stuff clandestinely. They can get in and out without the public actually knowing that American boots are on the ground. But the IDF's mission is going to be very, very different. And they're going to be stretched thin trying to defend their borders from other countries who are probably going to try to step into this fight. So they're, they're going to be largely in a kinetic in, in involved in a kinetic fight trying to defend their act their country's borders and 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 really go door to door in in Gaza which is some of the toughest fighting imaginable for the next several months so their mission set's going to be completely different that's why it's critically important that we have people at the ready uh to go over there and evac American citizens if necessary it's not the IDF's responsibility to care for and take care of our citizens when they're trying to defend their own borders and clear Gaza of of Hamas we we are responsible for our own people so that's we've got to get people over there to get people out but again this these are these this is not an invasion force these aren't American boots on the ground these are search and rescue teams get the mission done get out let Israel deal with Hamas right because again they're fully capable of doing so and they haven't asked for our help as far as the $6 billion, it, you don't have to be a foreign policy genius to know that freeing up $6 billion for Iran, that, that that money was going to be used for nefarious purposes. The Biden administration saying, oh, they're just going to use that you know, $6 billion for food, water, humanitarian assistance. I mean, really? Really? I mean, clearly that's not going to be the case. And, and 
the Biden administration, and I mean, people forget that just prior to this horrific attack happening in Israel, that Mali, the Biden administration, a Biden appointee, uh, had some guy named Robert Malley working as a high-level Biden appointee within the administration who who hired three people under him that were liaising with high levels of the Iranian government to soften U.S. policy to, to Iran. These people just had their security clearances revoked by the FBI because they were working very, very closely with Iran. And so you see what appeasement in a weak stance towards Iran gets you, right? Look under President Trump when we were crushing that nation with sanctions, no war. We killed Soleimani, no war. At that time, Iran was enriching uranium at, I think, 4%. I mean, they're at 60% today, no war. And look at the Biden administration bending the knee to Iran over and over and over again. And all that that's led to is violence and bloodshed in the region. So the juxtaposition between you know, how Biden has treated Iran and how Trump treats Iran, I, I mean, are, it could not be more clear. And, and the pathway that Biden has taken has led to just wholesale disaster, not just in Afghanistan, but now also, you know, with with regards to our diplomatic diplomatic, I use the term loosely, but relationship with Iran and obviously our greatest ally in the region, region Israel. Yeah, and obviously there's you don't have to, uh, you, you know, be a genius to see that we are in a far where everything that they told you was going to happen when Trump was president is happening now under President Biden. Everything right. that's the whole Middle East yeah. is destabilized war all over the place. So but here, Sean, what I don't understand is now we're seeing the, the impact now. Israel is leveling Gaza. But Hamas, when they launched this attack. I mean, these guys are brutal. They're vicious, but I don't think they're stupid. I think that when they did this, they knew that the response wasn't going to be sanctions. I think they knew that by doing this, the response was going to be wiping Gaza from the map. So what is the end game here? Like, what is the purpose? Like, I don't understand. What, what, it, it, there's got to be a second stage to this that's coming that we don't know about or something. I mean, why would they launch this scale of attack on Israel knowing that this this was going to ha- ignite Israel. And the second part is, uh, how did our, how did the intelligence of, of Israel and how did our intelligence, I mean, since 9-11, we're watching terrorism all over the world. How did they miss it? How did we miss it? Alec, you know, the latter part of that question about how did we miss this, as far as American intelligence, I mean, maybe it's because you know, the FBI and the CIA and all of our intelligence at, you know, assets here in this country are focused on Trump supporters or pro-life people protesting outside of abortion clinics or, you know, moms who dare to go to school board to complain about curriculum who are now being labeled domestic terrorists. I mean, when you say that the greatest threat to your country are, you know, d- domestic extremists who support Trump. And I'm sure you saw that Newsweek article that came out last week that said just that. When the eyes of your intelligence apparatus are focused on your own people, bad things happen abroad, first of all. I mean, it's just speculation, but it's the truth, right? We are greatly distracted here at home, and that can have devastating consequences abroad. When when our country is perceived as weak and we've got a, a, a bumbling loser in the White House, basically an animated corpse that can't string together a single coherent sentence, who's been MIA from the beginning of this crisis in Israel, uh, our enemies see that. They know that America's ability to respond to these crises worldwide uh, is greatly inhibited, and clearly they don't respect uh, Biden at all. And that's that's why you see the chaos worldwide. They don't care about Biden. They don't respect the guy. Uh, but as far as how the IDF missed this, I mean, that's a question that I'd like to have answered. Um, we're not going to get it answered before Israel go puts boots on the ground in Gaza. 
But frankly, I'd like to have an answer to that <laughs> right prior to that happening. It's not going to happen, but that's a very, very important question that needs to be answered. Now, I'll tell you, I've heard from my sources on the ground in the IDF and people who fought in the IDF before that, that, you know, their enemies talk a lot. Typically, like you can, you can sense an attack when it's coming because they don't shut up on the radio. They were historically quiet and prepped for this fight, and they were communicating via courier with jump sticks, just like Al Qaeda did when we were at the at the height of the hunt for Bin Laden. Um, they wouldn't communicate via telephone. They wouldn't communicate via their ICOM or walkie-talkies. They would have one courier bring a jump stick to another with messages all on there. Very, very difficult to track, but it also requires an unbelievable level of, of discipline uh, and tactical acumen to, to do that. Unbelievable level of coordination of where safe houses yeah. are. You understand, right? Um, but as far as what their end game is, I mean, Israel was about to strike a, a historic, you know, peace agreement with Saudi Arabia and other Middle East nations to normalize relations. And, and that would have put Gaza and, and Palestine and everything that they're focused on uh, with regards to their mission of eradicating Israel, that, that puts all that at risk. So I think the end state, like they, I think, look, I don't know, but I think they, they go into Israel, they, they conduct these horrific attacks. I mean, and we're talking horrific where they were lighting 12 yeah. year old girls on fire and live streaming it and beheading yeah. babies for God's sake. You know, they do that so that the all of the Middle East sees that, right, and says, whoa, 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 maybe we shouldn't normalize relations with Israel right now, right? And th if their attack can stop the normalization uh, of relations between Israel and all of the, uh, these other Middle East nations, I think that they've succeeded. It, it, Sean, obviously, it's, it's scary times here because, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we see we're so desensitized to so many of these images we see now. It's just horrific. And there's no such thing as a, a you know, a good image of, of a parent holding their child, no matter what country they're from. Uh, and these are the costs of the war. Unfortunately, this is these are the things that are going to happen in Hamas knew this was going to happen as a, as a point of doing this, that kids who innocent people were going to be killed as a result in the in the re retaliation. But my, my main concern and my biggest concern is the fact that we have no idea how many of these Hamas sympathizers have come to our border uh, in the last three years here? We have no idea who these people are, what they're here for, and how many of them are walking amongst, amongst us, taking the subways. We have no clue. And so what is to ever stop them from now starting to attack, you, you know, temples here, uh, going after Jewish community, a large Jewish community in New York City? I mean, we have no idea. We talk about intelligence missing stuff. Well, how could we know all this stuff's going on and continue to let our border open? doesn't is doesn't we care about the american people's risk here at all i mean first of all the fact that the border border's been open for as long as it has i mean i think i think as of now 7.5 million illegal migrants have crossed into america since the beginning of the year it's an absolute unprecedented number i mean even even if one quarter of one percent of those people are extremists or terrorists i mean do you realize how devastating that number could be to this country it's that that in and of itself is an is is in a is dereliction of duty at the highest levels of our government specifically by the commander in chief but it's also that in and of itself is also an impeachable offense first of all um, but you're absolutely right to be concerned and make no mistake about it. There are Hamas and Hezbollah sleeper cells here in this country waiting to be activated. Should the U.S. get involved in a proxy war with Iran or in a war with if with Hamas, they're here. And so what I tell people on my show all the time 
is prepare yourself, learn to defend yourself, learn to defend your family, and then teach your family to defend themselves as well. Because this threat could very easily find its way to your front door when and if it does, you need to be ready to handle it because the government is not coming to save you. And even how scary is that, Sean, the fact that, you know, you have this open border, people are coming in, they're defunding the police, uh, cities are being overrun by illegal immigrants. And meanwhile, the Biden administration is trying to take away your right to defend yourself. So we have all this going on and now they want to disarm you in the same process, almost like they hate you and they want to see you punished. I know. I know. It's you know, it's so it's so crazy, Alec, because this is what I say, you know, really, it. Think about it, just the the perverse logic that it set, that it takes just to just to take this the step that okay, a criminal commits a crime. So what now now what we're going to do is disarm all law-abiding citizens. Just that in and of itself yeah. is completely flipped, it's just logic completely flipped around on its head. Because obviously law-abiding citizens aren't the ones who commit crime. The criminals are still gonna have access to firearms. So all you're going to do is embolden and empower criminals to prey upon the law abiding. But you're right. It is like they actively. And this is what I say all the time, Alec, that the when the left says that they want to fundamentally transform America, in order to transform America, you have to first destroy what it once was. And that means destroying you know, our country and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, all the things that have made America the most exceptional nation on the face of the planet. We're not a nation that without faults. Of course, we always work to seek a more perfect union. Right. Um, But what makes America exceptional is that we we do indeed work to we do indeed work to improve our country all the time. It doesn't mean we have to dismantle everything uh, of what was. And so, yeah, I agree. It's it's like leftists are completely out of their mind. Uh, Everything that they touch dies. They they they. Throw, they they throw the world into chaos with their naive foreign policy, and they make America a more dangerous place to live at home. And and that's why you know it needs to be the wholesale mission of of everybody. I mean, I say this all the time to dismantle the new Democrat Party because I I believe they're an existential threat to this country. And the last thing, and this is what scares me too, is the last thing that they want to see is Donald Trump come riding into the into Washington on, on on a horse and save us from getting us out of the wars, peace, bringing peace back to the Middle East, securing our border, and making America great again. That's the last thing they want to see happen. So it just makes me worried about what we're about to see coming towards 2024. As I think, unfortunately, I think we're going to see things get so much more chaotic, especially if it looks like he's the clear cut guy that's going to win the job. So. Uh, well, we'll see what goes on. Listen, what do you got coming up here on the Battleground podcast we could be looking about? I know you got probably some people stacked up there. What do you got coming up that we can look forward to? Well, first of all, the show is live every night at five on Rumble. So if, if you're watching this, like, please make your way over to our Battleground Live and subscribe to that show. It is and will always be free. I mean, we, we, we cover news, politics and culture from five o'clock to six o'clock Eastern time every single night. And we go where the mainstream media often doesn't go, because that's frankly where many of the stories are. And my focus is just bringing the American people the truth. And it's been awesome. The show's been growing. And so we have some real exciting stuff uh, and an announcement to make on October 16th over there. But yeah, come on over and subscribe to the show. We'd love to have you in the trenches with us uh, in the mission to save this country, because that's what the show is all about. Um, But yeah, like we'd love to have you as part of our movement. So so join it. Yeah, I got the link down there in the description below. Always great to get, especially when you talk about wartime news from people that have actually fired a weapon before. So get on over, check out Sean Parnell. I got the link down below. Sean, I really appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Alec Lay Show.
All right. Thanks, brother. Take care. All right. Always an honor when I have the opportunity to speak to Sean Parnell. You have got to go check out his podcast, the Battleground Podcast, right on Rumble here. Uh, Sean has been there, done that. He, he, as I mentioned, he is a an American hero, Purple Heart recipient. He's been face-to-face, eye-to-eye with the terrorists around this world. Uh, he's been in the thick of it. Highly respect his opinion and what he has done for our country. So grateful to Sean for giving me a few minutes of his time here. And now we are going to completely switch tempos here. And, and just again, really... Uh, my prayers and my thoughts are with all of these people that are suffering in the Middle East. And there's no doubt that there is no such thing as a good image of a parent holding their dead child, no matter what side of the fence they are on. You don't want to see this happening to Russian children, Ukrainian children, Israeli children, uh, Palestinian children. You don't want to see the innocent people that have nothing to do with any of this suffering death. So it seems like the the major reaction is always bloodthirst from people who are not going to be involved in the conflict. And that usually seems to be the case. And this is why I bring on somebody who has been there and done that, that is somebody who knows what we could stand from there being peace in this world. And it's interesting that the same people who, when you mention, hey, maybe we should have some peace between Ukraine and Russia, they shoot you down right away. Like, what are you talking about? They're, you know, they, they don't want to hear it. Like Trump says, hey, I want peace between Russia and Ukraine. Let's negotiate a peace deal. Nobody wants to hear that. Now those same people are saying, oh, we need peace in the Middle East between Israel and Palestine. There shouldn't be any retaliation. Uh, we should just solve this in a better way. That's not the case. When you say Ukraine and Russia, it's no, we should we'll go to nuclear war with Russia. But Israel and Palestine, no, we should have peace. We need peace in this world. Getting Joe Biden and his administration out of office would be a great step in the direction of peace because we had it under President Trump. So we're going to completely change the subject here now and turn to another uh, just catastrophe that took place in our world, which was COVID-19. It changed our world, changed our lives forever. And I think we were, we've were we been had because the entire thing seems to have been a setup and nobody knows that more Then Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, he's out with a new book titled Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. Senator Rand Paul has been on this from the beginning. We were lied to about the origins of COVID-19. And Dr. Fauci, the snake in the grass that he is, is being uncovered more and more. We're finding out about this guy and just how bad and how deadly he was to our planet with his bullshit. So we're going to bring Senator Rand Paul on to discuss this now. Just a disclaimer here. I did pre-record this interview with Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul, for release today to time it with his book release, which is today. It's never before seen interview. It is new. It is exclusive. Honored to have him on. But just to give you a heads up, I do not ask him about the conflict between Israel and Palestine because this interview took place before the bloodbath was launched by Hamas into Israel. So keep that in mind. Right now, I'm going to hit you with a quick spot. I'm back on the other side with Senator Rand Paul. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood. You're listening to The Alec Lee Show. The future is family. Welcome back. All right, let's do this. We are changing gears here just a little bit. We are going from the war in the Middle East over to the talk about COVID, Fauci, the cover-up, the whole bit. Again, new book out by Senator Rand Paul, Deception. It's la- It launched today. Today is the book launch day. Uh, Deception, the great COVID cover-up. I highly recommend you guys check it out. This has the information. Look at how thick the book is. It is piled with information about COVID-19 and how we have been had and how Fauci needs to be held accountable. So here we go. Here is my interview with Kentucky Senator Rand Paul on The Alec Lace Show. Joining me now, Senator Rand Paul, welcome to The Alec Lace Show. Thanks for having me, Alec. Well, it's an honor to have you here, and you have got a a very important book out today, uh, Deception, uh, the great COVID cover-up. This is something that has really destroyed so many American lives, so many American families in this country. It's an important book, and many people want to see some accountability for what has happened. So break it down for me here. What are we going to learn from Deception, uh, the great COVID cover-up, once we get a copy in our hands? That from the very beginning, our government knew that they had funded research in China that led to the pandemic from day one virtually. January 31st of 2020, Anthony Fauci is obsessed with emailing everybody across the planet on this. He's emailing people till three in the morning. And the email from three in the morning is an interesting one. He's emailing the head of the safety committee that is supposed to oversee dangerous gain-of-function research. This is research where they take two viruses together, they, they mutate them, and they create a new virus that doesn't exist in nature that sometimes is more lethal. We think that's the kind of research they were doing in China. But at three in the morning, Anthony Fauci's emailing the head of the committee saying, nothing to see here. We think it came from nature. Why is he doing that? Because it turns out this research was never reviewed by the safety committee. Anthony Fauci gave him an exemption. They went around the safety committee. And lo and behold, millions of dollars went to China into an unsafe lab. And ultimately, we learned that the pandemic began likely in November of 2019 when three researchers were sick at the Wuhan Institute. We even know their names now. So there's not really much question that this came from the lab. But there's a whole, you know, ream of scientific evidence that when you look at the genetic sequences that uh, indicates that this this virus was manipulated and created and really pre-adapted to be to be infective in humans. You know, and Senator, one of the big buzzwords, obviously, during this whole thing was misinformation, disinformation. Anything that was said uh, against the, the, the party line was considered to be disinformation. Yet we were told at the beginning of this, uh, this could be uh, from a bat. Uh, this came from the wet market in China. Everyone was uh, focusing on that. And you're saying that they knew while all that information was going out, they were aware that this came from the lab in Wuhan. Is that what you're saying? We've never had a cover up like this that was so thoroughly exposed by their own emails. So publicly, Fauci and all of these different virologists are saying anybody who says this came from a lab is a conspiracy theorist. It's a fringe theory. It has no basis. In fact, it's misinformation in their private email. They're saying exactly the opposite. So when a federal judge made them reveal these emails, we read the emails of Fauci's lieutenants, these different scientists we're saying this is not a conspiracy theory. This is not a fringe theory. We have to respect it. And in all likelihood, because we know the Chinese were doing this research, even Anthony Fauci in a private email says, 
We know they were doing gain of function research and the virus looks suspicious. That's his summary on February 1st, 2020. But by February 4th, they're writing an article publicly to say that you're a nut or a kook or a conspiracy theorist if you are alleging that this came from a lab. So it's a, it's, it's a complete cover up, but we have them dead to rights in their own words. I don't think there's ever been a cover up so completely revealed by the people involved in the cover up and by their own words. Yeah. And then just recently, too, the, the, the House committee here revealed that Dr. Fauci uh, was escorted. I'll put this up on the board so people can see it. But Dr. Fauci was escorted into the CIA headquarters without a record of entry and participated in the analysis to influence the agency's review. So is this him? Now, is that how bad is the CIA involved in all of this? And are they now just scrambling here madly to just cover this up that they knew from the beginning? So I wrote to the CIA last week and we're demanding answers on this. There are some classified documents that I'm trying to get a hold of, but you are right. Anthony Fauci went there. They're, they did not record him in the log the way they normally would have. The one question I have, and this is a big question, was he being influenced by someone at the CIA or was he the influencer? So there's two different policy, po possibilities here. I have a feeling that on February 1st, when you read Fauci's words, 2020, on February 1st, he seems to be very open that this could have come to the lab, probably did. And we know they're doing gain-of-function research. But within about 24 hours, his mind appears to have changed. Did he do this on his own because he says, well, there's so much business involved, so much billions and billions of dollars going back and forth that could hurt the business of science? Or does he do this because someone at the CIA convinces him? And the third possibility is there are people who are very, very wealthy in our country who fund a lot of this research privately, even those government institutions. Could one of them have gotten to him and said, this is going to damage relations with China? For one reason or another, we do think that they haven't been honest with us at the CIA. Surprise. But we're still trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And Deception, the great COVID cover up. The link to the book is down there in the description below. And also, Senator, we, we've seen a massive media cover up on this as well. We know it right from the beginning. People in the media were referring to it as the Chinese Wuhan virus. That was their talking point. And then when Donald Trump, pre President Donald Trump at the time, called it the Chinese virus, all of a sudden there was a big shift in that narrative. And they were like, well, why are you calling it the Chinese virus? Even though that's what they were calling it up until that point. And he's saying this comes from China. And then they tried to downplay that and switch it all around. So it's seems like the media was uh, partnered up. Mainstream media was was in on this. I don't know if they're corroborating with the CIA or what their part was to keep pushing this narrative forward. In, in deception, I reveal that the CIA, that an inspector or a comptroller reviewed the analyst at the CIA and the analysts at the CIA were purposely taking away any analysis that supported the fact that it came from China. Once they learned that Donald Trump was making public pronouncements that it came from China, their anti-Trump bias was so strong, they decided to suppress any an analysis that said it came from China. So they were actually caught doing this with actually suppressing and removing analysis. And analysts are not supposed to be political. Analysts are supposed to look at facts, present them, and then people are supposed to sift through all that analysis to try to determine the truth. But at the CIA, there was a concerted effort to remove any analysis supporting that this came from China mainly because their hatred for Trump was so strong that it overwhelmed their ability to try to be objective. 
And, you know, Senator, I, I did an interview a year and a half, two years ago with Dr. Robert Malone, and he called uh, Fauci a, a snake and a mafiosa type guy and a character. And it just seems like it, it is. And, and to your point where you said, is this Fauci doing the influencing or Fauci being influenced? That's what many people want to know. If the case is that Fauci is this evil, that he does this why like what where did this come from from him why all of a sudden do we see this is this who he's always been has he always been this snake guy that's been in the grass or is this something that was pushed onto him that he's the guy that's going to be the fall guy and appoint man to push this whole thing i think that you can interpret his actions in covering the covering up this as being evil as far as his original intentions if he were sitting here with us, he would say he did it to try to stop pandemics and that he believes that the knowledge from gain-of-function research is worth the risks. But realize the risk is a pandemic. So this is a judgment call, and it turned out to be a terrible mistake in judgment for him to say that the risk of a pandemic was worth it. And that, I think, is what he needs to be challenged on, the idea that gain-of-function research is going to provide knowledge that's so important that the risk is worth it. But the cover-up, there's no excuse for it. I think he knew from day one that the information would come out that he funded the lab in Wuhan, that the NIH and that his agency were involved with funding this research, and that they skipped the safety details. The safety committee that was supposed to oversee this was bypassed. And we now know that, and we reveal for the first time in the book who ran the committee, and we have talked with the person who ran the committee, and he says there were no discussions. Fauci never brought any of this research to him. In fact, it looks as if Fauci purposely evaded the safety committee to allow this to happen. This is incredible. It's, it's incredible stuff. Deception, the great COVID cover-up. Link is down there in the description below. Also, too, Fauci was the one that he, he kept changing his uh, opinion here on the vaccine and the vaccine portion. I don't know how much of the vaccine you get into in the book here, but you know he told you in the beginning that if you got the vaccine, you weren't going to get COVID. Then the efficacy rate dropped to 90%, 80%, 30%, and it just kept decreasing. And so people who were buying this and getting the vaccine, then getting COVID, were kind of saying, well, wait a second, I'm wearing my mask. I'm getting my vaccine, getting my booster, I'm still getting COVID. So what's the story here? And, and anybody that questioned that narrative of the vaccine, I've had videos pulled down. Every influencer that tried to question this w- was just completely banned on social media. So uh, how much of this is he, uh, how much is he in bed with the, the pharmaceutical companies as well that were pushing his vaccine that bypassed all FDA protocol? This is a real intriguing thing. The left blames the right and says the people like you and I are responsible for vaccine hesitancy. And frankly, the blame goes to the people who were dishonest about the vaccine. So, for example, on efficacy, there might have been some data for those at risk in the beginning. I don't think that data is any longer valid, but there never was any data for children. There's no data that it it reduces transmission, no data that reduces hospitalization or death among children, particularly the three vaccine schedule. In fact, the FDA Vaccine Committee of Scientists and the CDC Vaccine Committee of Scientists both voted against giving it to children. They said, well, our recommendations are at-risk people over 65. Why are we recommending it for children after six months? Because Biden's appointment, Rochelle Walensky, to the head of CDC, a political appointment, she overrode the scientist's opinion. But I challenged Fauci directly on this, and I said, what is the proof that we should do it? And he says, well, they make antibodies. Every time you give them an injection, I said, well, you can give kids 100 uh, vaccines or 100 mRNA vaccines. They'll make antibodies every time. That doesn't prove they need it. You need to prove that it either reduces transmission, hospitalization, or death. There's no proof of that. Absolutely no proof. We have a whole country where the schools and everybody else are going to begin 
uh, mandating these vaccines on kids. The Senate pages have to take them. A lot of the Ivy League schools are having to take three vaccines. And it's worse than just not working. There is some risk. It's not an enormous risk, but about two to three, maybe slightly more out of 15,000 can get an inflammation of the heart, which can be life-threatening. So do you want your 15-year-old perfectly healthy kid who plays on the football team or a baseball team or is in the band or the choir, you want them to take a vaccine for a disease that's not deadly for children with a chance, a couple of chances out of 15,000 that they could be seriously impaired by it? No, it's crazy. I think it's malpractice to actually recommend this for children. But yet Fauci has been right there, the tip of the spear. But if he were on here, so I didn't mandate anything. Well, once he and the CDC say it's the best practice, people follow it. And then private entities are like, well, people assume me if I don't follow the mandate, the, you know, the recommendations of government. So his edicts became like dictates throughout the economy. And uh, I do think that it's been, been awful and I hope we'll never do it again. But it, we've, we've got to stand up. People have to stand up for their individual medical rights and their ability to make their choices for themselves and for their children. And so many parents, Senator, I mean, that, that's the thing. The pa- parents in this country want to do what's right and healthy for their kids. They, they were scared into getting their kids vaccinated, even if against their own will. Like they were, they were told by the, F, uh, the, the uh, CDC uh, that this was the best way to go. This was the best thing for their child. So they did it. Now they're seeing we've seen so many young kids, especially athletes, like you said, football players developing these heart conditions and, and, and dropping some of them on live TV. And, and it's, uh, you know, they use fear and shame. And that not only that, you had the schools all shut down. We still don't even know the ramifications. We're still seeing uh, some of the effects of that. I got four kids myself, high school kids, uh, middle school kids. And it's like this, this thing did so much damage by right. keeping these kids home. The one bright light I would think is that parents got a chance for the first time to see what was actually going on in the school system when they were sitting there going, wait a minute, what is this kid learning here? And so that opened up a lot of parents. In it. So I think that may be a silver lining, but still the rep- the repercussions of this are, are still continuing to go on. And if people want to know the truth of what whether or not your child needs to have a COVID vaccine, Dr. Paul Offit is head of vaccines and immunolo- immunologic disease at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia. He's on the vaccine committee. He's pro-vaccine. He's always been pro-vaccine. He's not political. He probably is okay with mandates. And yet he says there's no evidence that your kid needs to take it. And he had advised his 24-year-old son not to take the COVID booster. So, you know, the scientists out there, there's a great deal of science on this. And a lot of people have exposed this. Uh, Vinay Prasad is a doctor out in San Francisco who's written a lot about this. There's a great deal of information out there. And people just need to make their own decisions. Governments should never make your medical decisions. And everybody's not the same. Your 12-year-old son is not the same as your 75-year-old parents. You know, there is a difference. And they're treated differently by doctors who have any, any kind of uh, half a brain that they're using. Yeah, and even with half a brain, you don't have to be a scientist to see, like, as a parent, I've given my kids the measles vaccine. They've never gotten the measles. You know, but there's people that are getting the COVID vaccine, and they're still getting COVID. And then people on the left are saying, well, that's not how vaccines work. Well, what are you talking about? Because every other vaccine my kids gotten, they've never gotten the thing they were vaccinated against. So how could that be different? They've changed the definition of the vaccine. Is this thing even a vaccine that they're giving you? Because if it is, why doesn't it stop anything? And then when you ask those questions, they say you're a conspiracy theorist and a vaccine denier. Well, and then the ridiculous argument is, oh, I'm so glad I had six vaccines because I got COVID and I survived and I probably wouldn't have survived. And it's like, I want the truth. The truth is we need to know what does it mean to have had the infection? Let's say you're in between and you're 75 years old and you had two vaccines and you've been infected. 
Do you really need any more? What does it mean that you've been infected? What does that provide for your, your immune response? Because being infected is um, what a vaccine is based on. It's based on a natural infection. It's just not as good. But when you say this to the left, they'll say, oh, you want everybody to get COVID and everybody to die? It's like, no, I don't. But if you've already had it, can't you tell me what that means? Because a lot of people have been vaccinated. A lot of people have had it. What does it mean to have been inoculated by nature? Turns out when they do look at this, that it's about twice as effective as the uh, vaccine. And the reason is this, when you get infected, and none of this is an argument for being infected, but if you are infected, the, the virus gets inside your cells, your cells go up to destroy the cells that are infected and the cells rupture. And what you get are inner proteins from the inside of the virus inside the cell that normally would not be in a vaccine and you get immunized to them. So instead of being immunized to like one S protein, the vaccine would do, a natural infection may have immunized you to a dozen different proteins within the virus, within the cell. And so it does have an effect. And it's amazing. People knew this back at the time of George Washington. He wanted his wife to be vaccinated against smallpox before she came to the war camps. And she did. But he didn't get vaccinated. Why? Because he had pox on his face from when he was 15. He had scars. And people knew that you didn't need to be vaccinated if you already had the disease. And yet we threw out all that knowledge. And no one ever asked a question. They just told everybody to blindly get vaccinated, whether it had it or not. And that, to me, shows that they were more concerned about submission than they were actually concerned about real science. And we've seen that. Like, I had chicken pox, and then I never got it again in my life because I had that natural immunity to it. And the natural immunity is really what got us out of this COVID uh, pandemic. And really, if it wasn't for that Omicron variant that came through, that really blasted through everybody, and it gave everybody, I think, natural immunity, I think we would have seen a massive push for these mandates and lockdowns to continue going on. But it was really that Omicron variant, natural immunity, that got us past COVID, not the vaccines that did it. And so what what have we taken here, Senator, now? What, what, what have we learned here from this pandemic that we can apply when the next once in a lifetime, uh, you know, pandemic hits us every election year. But what's the what could we take from this to learn that when this happens again, how do we apply what we learned to that point? I would say my hope is that we learn that you don't throw out your freedoms, your civil liberties or the Constitution during a pandemic. These things should all apply. And really, in making decisions, individuals make decisions based on the knowledge they have. A blanket decision from someone in government is never the way to go. Either everybody should be vaccinated or nobody should be vaccinated. Your decisions are based on your own health, based on your own age. And sometimes we don't know everything, but we do know that when the government mandated things, that most of the things they mandated were actually incorrect. So, for example, the CDC says if you've been infected within the last three years, three days, three months, you shouldn't be vaccinated. Do you think anybody at Walgreens ever asked any kid they were vaccinating? Have you had the disease within three months? No, they just vaccinated us. Those are the people who turned out to be at the highest risk for the inflammation of the heart because they've already got an immune response. And then you add in another immune response to the vaccine and you're liable to topple them into this inflammation of the heart. But uh, I think the main thing to learn is uh, every individual should be able to make these decisions on their own. Yeah. And I pray to God that we never have to go down this road again. But you never know. It always seems to be uh, we get one of these uh, viruses around election time. Now, what, what is your response to like these? They call them conspiracy theories. And what, what is your take on it where they say uh, this thing was brought forth by this uh, great reset theory to uh, from the globalists to destroy American sovereignty and, and to destroy the American economy? Is there any any possibility that any of those could be a reason why we saw this pandemic in the first place? 
I think there was dishonesty in the cover-up. I still think the origin, though, is probably accidental from a lab. Now, could you prevent it by being more careful and maybe not funding this research? Absolutely. But I think it was probably an accident. Now, when you say people, globalists or internationalists might have done this on purpose, I think what is purposeful is they take something that happened naturally or accidentally, and then they take advantage of it. It goes back to the whole idea with like 9-11. Some people said, oh, the government caused 9-11 so they could do all these things to take our liberties. I don't think that happened, but I do think there were people within the government after 9-11 happened that decided to go ahead and use the Patriot Act and other things to take our liberties. This is the same way. They use this pandemic to try to get and centralize the control of health such that one person in Washington is telling you exactly what to do. They wanted to make sure that the health officials could tell you to close your restaurants, your gyms, all of these things they did that were unheard of, they've set the predicate to do it again. Let's just hope that we have learned enough that we will resist the next time. Yeah, well said. Deception, the great COVID cover-up. Link is in the description below. Last question I'll hit you. I know we're up against it right now. Uh, last thing I'll say, how do you, what's the best thing we could do to convince those? Because the misinformation, disinformation, the people that don't trust the government anymore. What's the thing, the people that are still wearing masks, even though this thing is all gone, what's the point we could point them to to say, hey, uh, you've been bamboozled, you've been hoodwinked. How do we bring those people back that have been sold that this whole thing is legit? You know, it's all about more information. The way you counter misinformation that comes from government is more information. You're part of trying to get the truth out. So are a lot of people. I think that's the best way to do it. The one thing we should try to prevent is the government promoting misinformation. And that's why we have to stop the FBI, Department of Homeland Security, from meeting with Twitter and Facebook and trying to uh, suppress the truth and suppress information. For over a year and a half, Facebook degraded the idea that this could have come from a lab. Twitter was meeting with the FBI. We finally have a court case, Missouri versus Biden, that's stopping this, but we need to make sure the government is out of the business of spreading misinformation. Yeah, right on with that. Well said. Uh, God bless you for you doing the, the information is in here. Deception, the great COVID cover-up. Senator Rand Paul, honored to speak with you today. Thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time on the Alec Lay Show. Thanks, Alec. All right, guys, grateful to have a few minutes with Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Again, his book, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. The link to the book is down there in today's description of the podcast. Get down there, tap the link, and get yourself a copy of the book. Uh, Hopefully, you know, enough people woke up around our country that are not going to be willingly able to say, oh, I'll comply with what the government tells me to do and mask and social distance and all this other nonsense that we had to live through. I know you're just as tired of it as I am. Uh, So God bless uh, Senator Rand Paul for what he's doing, exposing Dr. Fauci for the fraud that he is. And so now the other thing that I wanted to hit you guys with today, the other big major news that isn't, you know, I know our news right now is being dominated uh, by the war in the Middle East. But one of the things I wanted to mention here is the fact that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has now dropped from the Democrat Party and is running for president as an independent. Uh, here's a part of, of his campaign launch as an independent just yesterday. Is ready for a history-making change. They're ready. They are ready to reclaim their freedom, their independence. And... And that's why I'm here today. I'm here to declare myself an independent candidate. (laughs) 
independent candidate for president of the United States. That's not all. I'm here to join you in making a new declaration of independence for our entire nation. We declare independence from the corporations that have hijacked our government. All right. So the question here is, who does this help? Who does this hurt? Does this help Joe Biden? Does this help President Trump? What's your opinion? Uh, my take on this right here. Now, I know a lot of the experts or whoever, whatever you want to call them on social media, a lot of the people whose opinions I respect and value are saying that this is going to hurt President Donald Trump. I don't see it that way. And here's why. I know personally a lot of Democrats who can't stand Joe Biden and don't want to vote for, again for a guy who can't walk up a flight of stairs, who can't even speak a sentence straight and has, by the way, has the controls to our nuclear weapons, a guy who falls asleep in the middle of a meeting. They don't want to vote for a guy who's got the border wide open. They don't want to vote for an administration that thinks it's okay that their daughter shares the bathroom with a grown man. They don't want to vote for a guy who wants to defund the police and allow criminals to be back out on the street like a revolving door. So, But they will never vote for Donald Trump. So instead of staying home now, I think this motivates them to come out and get a chance to vote for not Donald Trump or Joe Biden, vote for Kennedy. Now, I think the Kennedy name obviously rings to a lot of hearts in the Democrat side, Democrat voters, especially the old school Democrat voters. If they're looking at a ballot and they say, see just three names, Biden, Kennedy, Trump, they're pulling the lever for Kennedy. Those are the Democrats, the old school Democrats who believe that the, the, of the slogan, ask what you could do for your country, not what your country can do for you. They believe in that value of life. They believe in this America. But they do not want to follow this far left lunatic administration that is in the office right now. They don't want to vote for it. So this gives them another option. I don't think this pulls many people away from, number one, Trump's loyal supporters ain't going anywhere. They ain't going to vote for, for Kennedy. All right. Trump is going to have that base. The worry is about the people who are Republican that are these never Trumper guys as well. These people that, you know, they have Trump derangement syndrome, but they, they claim to be Republican, right? They don't want uh, Donald Trump. They'd rather have the, um, the establishment candidate or they'd rather have somebody that's not so controversial. Oh, my God, Trump hurts feelings. We didn't have war in the Middle East. We didn't have war with Russia and Afghanistan. We didn't have people pouring over the border. But Trump was so mean with his tweets, he hurt my feelings. So I'm not going to vote for him. So you're going to have that kind of crowd. I don't think it's enough to hurt Trump. I think it hurts Biden more. I think there's many more people that are on the Democrat side that don't want to vote for Biden than there are Republicans on the Republican side that don't want to vote for Trump. That's just my opinion. So what's yours? Who do you think this hurts? Who do you think it helps? Let me know down in the chat below there. Let me know in the comment section. I pray to God it hurts Biden. So I'm a little biased. I might have my uh, my Trump hat on, but I really do think and hope that it hurts Joe Biden and it helps just put Trump back into the White House. Because just like I said to Sean Parnell, I think Trump comes in riding on a horse back into Washington, D.C. and saves us from the turmoil that this Biden administration has caused. And it can't happen soon enough. All right, so that's what I got for you guys here today. I really, again, want to say thank you to Sean Parnell and Senator Rand Paul for joining me on the Alec Lay Show. Uh, if you guys missed it, roll back the tape. Check out those interviews. Check out all the interviews on the channel. I've had so many great guests. I owe it all to you. And the only thing I could ask for is that you guys help me out with a follow. Follow this First Class Fatherhood page here on Rumble and then follow the Alec Lay Show channel as well. If you could, I would really appreciate it. It goes a long way. Don't forget to share these other broadcasts that you guys have tuned into. 
Uh, it really is building up a lot here, and I owe that all to you guys. Again, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please hit me with a rating review. goes a long way to help me out. I do have a guest scheduled for Thursday. Not going to announce it just yet. Another member of Congress, uh, because as things have shifted here with the uh, war in the Middle East, I, I, I just want to make sure before I announce it, I will announce it on X first. So follow me there at Alec Lace for that and any other upcoming guest announcements. All right, so that's all I got for you guys. I will be back one way or the other here Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on Rumble. Uh, I do pray for peace in our world. I pray for all those who've been affected. These videos and images that we are seeing are just absolutely barbaric and horrifying, and my heart goes out to all these parents across the across the world uh, that, ha- that have been affected and have lost their children over this. There is no worse Worse image than to see a parent carrying their dead child on live TV. Uh, it's very, very hard to watch. So my hearts and prayers are with all these people that have been unjustly affected by these barbaric bastards that roam our world. All right, so uh, that's all I got for you guys today. As always, you know, God bless uh, you parents and you listeners out there. God bless our military and first responders. God bless America, and I'll be back here on Thursday.